looking at a few uh, versions this morning. I so value the versions that are available today, the scholarship that is available today, uh, the access to materials that are, are available today that wasn't when the earlier translations were rendered. How many of you know that the word of God is without error in the original languages? But God's given us versions that we can glean from and that we can utilize. And so, um, I don't know about you, but I read consistently probably from about four, five different versions just because it adds such color and such light to scripture passages. We're probably going to be looking at three or four different versions this morning. But look at Romans 12, 11. It says, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Father in heaven, if the Apostle Paul could speak this to a group of believers that were meeting in the catacombs during a time when the church was being persecuted unlike any other, Father, we could draw truths from these scriptures today. Father, may we serve you enthusiastically as well, knowing that your word never returns void or empty back to you, but it accomplishes that for which you've sent it, the purpose for which you've sent it. God, accomplish your word in each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. You can be seated. We're in the midst of our series, Improving Your Serve, and we've been offering opportunities every week for you to get involved here at Restore Church. We'll be doing that again today. Here in Romans 12, I want to I read this to you in the Message Bible. It says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. I love that. Be inventive in hospitality. I've been actively serving the Lord through the local church for over 30 years, 25 of those in full-time ministry. And I've noticed some common traits of Christians who have the heart of a servant. And they're captured here in Romans 12, 11 through 13. And first, I, I just want to qualify where we're going. There is grace for the newly saved to just come and to just receive. Um, I, I think that you should treat the, the babes in Christ differently than everybody else. When our boys were were very, very young, they were not expected to help out around the house, but as they got older, we started telling them, hey, 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 pick up your toys. Hey, 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 put your dishes in the sink. I don't know if we still have that one down yet. Hey, put your dishes in the sink. Um, you know, hey, pick up after yourself. pick up your clothes. Um, as they were older, they could begin to help out a little bit. I believe it's the same spiritually. Once the babes are start walking, then, then they can start working, okay? Does that make sense? So there's grace for those that haven't been coming to the church very long, and I think that you should be gracious um, with them, and I know some folks, man, they, 
they ask Jesus in their heart and their, their lives are changing and they're excited and they want to get involved right away. Um, you know, I don't know if I oppose that, but I also want it to be known that there's grace for the new believer in Jesus, okay? I've noticed saints with servants' hearts are first and foremost full of hope, or as Eugene Peterson puts it, cheerfully expectant. Another theologian defined, another theologian defined hope as confident reaching out for the eschatological future. John Maxwell says Christians are dealers in hope. Another pastor said the church is the hope of the world. There's nothing like the church when the church is working right. So if I'm grasping scripture accurately, the modern day church is not just called to reach the world. I believe it's called to serve the world. Not just called to reach it. I believe the way that you reach it is serving it. The way that you reach out is, is serving. What a tragedy if we become so mature in our Christian walk that we believe that we're no longer supposed to be serving. What a, what a tragedy if in our Christian walk we've matured to the degree where we think we should be getting served instead of understanding that we're all called to serve. In a, in a couple months, I'm gonna be speaking about um, discipleship. And I... I'm probably going to present it in a way that I think the church has been off for a little while. I think we're trying to, to reduce the church to a bunch of programs instead of encouraging people to do life together. Since when isn't the Christian community supposed to be doing life together? Since when is it two separate worlds? You, you got your, your Christian friends at church, and then when you go home, since when? I mean, I grew up in an environment where church wasn't a place that I went to, it was a body that I was a part of and it encompassed all of my life. And I think today we're trying to live two separate lives. Like what, we're Christians on Sunday? Like Jesus is just a Sunday savior? Okay, a couple months from now. Um, I believe we're called to serve the world because I believe we're called to serve hope to the world. No wonder why scripture says we're always to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Why would you have to give a reason? Because folks don't understand that don't know Jesus. Why are you always cheerfully expectant? Why are you always so hopeful? Why are you always seeing the glass half full and not half empty. How going through this difficult time like the Spartans losing yesterday, how could you go through that difficult time and still have joy on Sunday? Can you not see the joy on my face? How? I have found in scripture that there is a connection between hope and joy that's often found. Hope and joy, hope and joy. And I want to show you a few of those passages. Go to Philippians chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, your digital device, Philippians 2. My wife tells me to quit picking on people that use digital devices. Okay. Let me just ask this. How many do you do not own a Bible? All of your... Bible reading is on a digital device. You do not own a Bible. Raise your hand. 
I'm just asking. I can ask a question? Okay. Um, I'm just, it's becoming more and more common um, for people to use their digital. I can remember hearing Rick Renner one time saying that he thought that somebody was texting while he was preaching one time, and then he realized that, no, they were using their Bible app on their on their phone. I, honest church, I'm grateful for technology. I mean, the Bible, the Bible studies that they can do through, you know, your phone. I mean, you, you literally can do Bible studies on your phone now. It's absolutely amazing to me. So no, man, make good use of it. Get in the word any way you can. Look at Ephesians 2. Look at 17. It says, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come through to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. John, Philippians chapter 2, not Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> Philippians 2. Hey, I will get there, okay? I'm thinking this is not this passage does not have the elements I'm looking for. Um Father, I just need help right now this morning. Help me to handle the message you've given me. I do not need a digital device. Uh, do not clap for that. Do not clap for that. That's it, Lisa. It says in Philippians 2.17, those others who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach a selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my change more painful to me, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. I want to read 2, I'm not kidding, this is a rough day, 2.17, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want you all to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I'll share the joy finally getting there. Do you see the connection between service, hope, and joy? Service, hope, and joy. If you look for it, you're gonna find it throughout the New Testament. Service, hope, and joy. Serving, hope, and joy, they're connected. They're connected. Let me just say this. I believe that there is an element of your growth, your Christian walk that you will never see if you're not serving. And that's just not some attempt to get more and more people involved in ministries through the local church. You should be involved in ministries through the local church. Please, get involved. But I believe that there is an element of Christian growth that you will never know until you're serving. And let me just say this, I was growing wonderfully as a young believer. Man, I'm in the Word, and I'm faithfully attending church, and, and I'm beginning to give, but nothing amped up my growth in the Lord more than when I got involved. Why do you think missions trips are so huge for individuals? Because they're finally putting into practice everything that they have been learning, everything that they have been reading about in their Bibles, they're finally, why can't we provide those opportunities through the local church? And can I be so bold as to say, involvement in the local church can be just as life-changing as a missions trip. But see, it's more of a process and it requires commitment and how much easier to go on a missions trip thousands of miles away 
But we want it to be a commitment because we want you doing life with other believers. Because we're believing what you begin to practice through the church, you'll begin to practice at home, in the workplace, in the school, in your neighborhood. See, the church is, is a body of believers. It's, it's, it's community. Community should be experienced at the church, through the church. Hope, joy, service. Go to Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. And I want to read these verses to you. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Notice how Jesus endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus being our model, we not only serve with hope and joy, but we endure with hope and joy. We endure with hope and joy. No, you're not being fake. You're a person of faith, and you endure with hope and joy. That's how you endure. How am I gonna make, how am I gonna make it through this? Hoping in Jesus, joyful, in Jesus, how can I be joyful when I'm going through this? Because of the spirit of the living God on the inside of you, you can praise him through the worst of times. And when you are able to endure with hope and joy, you are an example of how to trust Jesus through the worst of times. And people see that. And they know that that is not normal human behavior. They know that that is otherworldly. Because you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you if you believe. And we should live and we should model a lifestyle that says this cannot be found anywhere outside of Jesus Christ. It can't be manufactured. It can't be faked. It, it, it can't be performed. It is either working or it's not. And we're so quick to, to dispel the, the worst of times. But can I just say this? People see Jesus in you and through you in the worst of times. And so what if what you're going through, it isn't about you? What if it's for all the people around you? What if they need to see Jesus in you and the only way they're gonna see Jesus in you is if you willingly go through this process that maybe God didn't orchestrate, but he's gonna use. But he's gonna use. And because we're people of flesh, we go through stuff. I don't care how great your faith is, you go through stuff. Christians go through stuff. So bringing this full circle, how can we stay on fire and endure life's challenges? Go back to Romans 12 with me. And I want to draw your attention. This will be good stuff. Elbow your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. It says in Romans 12, 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. In the ESV 
and the New King James, before it says serve or serving the Lord, it says fervent in spirit. It says fervent in spirit. So whatever fervent means is key to our serving the Lord, and it's real important that you get this. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. New living, serve the Lord enthusiastically. So what does that word fervent mean? If you look it up, it means to boil. It means to froth. It means to be inflamed. It means to be stirred up by the Holy Spirit. So building on this, we stay on fire for God by serving him. We stay on fire for God by serving him. We stay inflamed for God by serving him. Yes, yeah, 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 we're, we're serving others, but in the process, we stay on fire for God. We stay on fire for God. Let's finish, and I, I wrote this message weeks ago not knowing that the ladies in their Bible study were gonna be looking at 2 Timothy, but let's go to 2 Timothy to finish. I'm tired of Beth Moore stealing my stuff anyway. I about had it. 2 Timothy. Beth, I wrote this first, so 2 Timothy. Look at ver- or chapter 1. Now, we know that this book is the last that Paul is writing. We know from chapter 4, verse 6, that his departure is, is at hand, and he knows he's, he's not going to be around much longer. So... Paul's not wasting any words in in 2 Timothy and he is drawing some important truths out for his dear son in the faith, Timothy. He's pointing out some things that he needs Timothy to see here. And I want you to see in verses three through seven, in chapter one of Second Timothy, some powerful truths that I believe we're gonna be encouraged with today. So, you know, Timothy's facing all kinds of persecution. Paul knows he's not gonna be alive much longer. And in this last letter, he is encouraging his son in the faith. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. That is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We know how much Paul loved Timothy and vice versa, which is evident here. They, when they last parted, Timothy was in tears. Can you imagine? And he probably wasn't aware at that time that he would never see his spiritual father again. This book, 2 Timothy, start to finish is one of a spiritual father encouraging a spiritual son to continue and not quit no matter what. If I could sum 2 Timothy up I would say it is a spiritual father speaking to a spiritual son, telling him, don't you quit, don't you ever quit, no matter what the circumstances, don't quit. 
And the key scripture found here is verse six, where Paul is reminding Timothy to fan into flames the gift that God gave him. And if you look at the the expression fan into flame, sometimes it takes us a few words in the English to capture maybe a word in the Greek. It means, or it carries the idea of rekindling a dying flame or a weak flame. Fanning into flame, fanning into flames. That flame's dying, it's weakening, and you are fanning into flames. And out of all the things that Paul was telling Timothy to do, he was telling him to fan in the flames the gift of God that's upon his life that came through the laying on of hands. His hands. He's telling him, fan it back into flames. Come on, blow on that thing, rekindle that fire that once burned brightly. And it's not like Timothy was weak in faith. It's not like his faith was dying, but more so that he would use or make full use of the gift that God had given him. Come on, Timothy. Come on. And keep in mind, Timothy was pastoring the largest underground church. I've heard estimates from, from, from preachers like Rick Renner that say that it was well into six figures, over 100,000 people, underground church. In a time that the church is being persecuted, Nero is knocking them off left and right, setting them on fire in his backyard, sliding them down blades. They'd be cut in two by the time they got to the bottom, inventing ways to, to kill the Christians. He was crazy. He was demonic. And Timothy is pastoring the largest church in the world, and it's underground. And in the midst of it all, Paul's telling him, you fan in the flames, I remind you. Fan in the flames. So Timothy must have been able to fan in the flames the work that God began in him, the gifts that God had given him. He must have been able to, or Paul wouldn't have been asking him to do it. Whatever it takes, saints, you fan in the flames. Don't become sleepy. Don't become complacent. Do not compromise. You fan in the flames the gift that God has given you. You fan in the flames that walk with Jesus. Don't find a place to settle in. Don't find a place to just nestle in and, and not plug in and, and not be involved. You fan it into flames. And the context here would not make any sense if it wasn't for Timothy preaching and serving others. There would be no sense in this scripture at all if it was just about Timothy and no one else. What is the purpose of a gift if not for others? Everything that you have been given by God, including your very life, is meant to give away. Give it away. There's not a single thing that God's given you that you are told to hoard, that you are told to keep, that you are not told to lay down your life. No greater love is, has a man than he would lay his life down for his friends. Your very life is meant to be given away. Isn't it funny that we might even struggle with giving or tithing, and yet your very life is meant to be given away? Should not be an area of your life that you're withholding. Not an area. Lay it down, give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Fan into flames. Fan into flames the gift of God. What about you? Are you using the, God's, are you using the gifts that God's given you? Are you fanning into flames? Have you found out how to strengthen yourself in the Lord? Will you choose to hope 
will you choose to be joyful no matter the circumstances? I believe your greatest, your greatest growth is gonna come as you choose to strengthen yourself in the Lord, fan in the flames the gift of God upon your life. I wanna close in prayer and then we're gonna offer you opportunity to go out into the foyer and if you are not involved, you've been attending a while, you're not involved, we're encouraging you to prayerfully consider getting involved. I get it, maybe you've come from um, another church, maybe you're visiting today, maybe you've just begun walking with the Lord, totally get it, totally get it. But if you've been coming for some time now, we wanna encourage you to plug into the life of the church and we want you to begin to get involved. We want you to do community together. We want you to serve the Lord enthusiastically and by so doing, keep yourself on fire for Jesus. So let me pray for you, Father in heaven. Thank you.